thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Pull up a rock by the campfire. It's time for that paleo show with your hosts, Sarah Stewart, Steve Hayter, and the man with no shoes, Brett Hill. that paleo show making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone i'm sarah stewart i'm steve hater and i'm brett hill today's guest is on a mission uh, to help you rejuvenate your health through optimal nutrition blood sugar regulation and digestive support she's got an amazing wealth of knowledge and experience and has lived through a whole array of illnesses and spent a lot of time in and out of hospital during childhood Her passion for food and farming was ignited during a summer spent working on a farm and in her mid-twenties she was then diagnosed with celiac disease which turned out to be the catalyst for embarking on a gluten-free diet which ended up radically changing her life. Fast forward to today and she has never felt happier or stronger and she's determined to spread the word about nutrient-dense sustainable nutrition to her clients and beyond. So we're really excited to learn from and welcome to the show farmer, paleo nutritionist, author and multimedia producer, Diana Rogers. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Awesome, Diana. Thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited to have you along today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we've touched briefly on um, you know, some of your history, but that was a dro- uh, drop in the ocean. Would you perhaps like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what drives your passion and where you are today? Sure. Um, so uh, as you mentioned, I first and foremost live on a working organic farm. We run a CSA program here. Do you have those in Australia, a CSA? We, we might do, but can you explain it briefly? Oh, sure. Um, so it's community-supported agriculture. So it is a, a basically like a subscription program. People pay the farmer up front for oh, okay. their season of produce. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, maybe it's, okay. I think we call them a, a farmer's co-op. Yeah. But yes, same okay. concept. Yep. Same idea. So we run an organic vegetable program like that to people uh, in the community here. And I'm outside of Boston, uh, Massachusetts. And then we also raise animals. So we do uh, also a subscription. So people can buy a pork share, a lamb share. Uh, we also raise goats and chickens for eggs. So we do mobile chickens. We run our pigs through the woods and it's all rotational grazing for the sheep and the goats. Um, so that is where I live. And we've got two children. And uh, my husband and I have been, you know, working farmers for the last 15 years. In addition, I, because of my celiac diagnosis, I was really, I was, I've always been interested in nutrition and trying to figure out not only what was causing my stomach problems, but also my blood sugar problems. So when I first went gluten-free, it it solved my stomach problems, but not my blood sugar problems. And that really didn't help until, I mean, it didn't really get solved until about 2010, I read Rob Wolf's book, The Paleo Solution. And I just couldn't believe it in about three weeks on paleo completely changed my life and I was no longer addicted to food, addicted to all the snacks that I had to carry around with me. I could go from breakfast to lunch without uh, feeling lightheaded, without needing a snack. I could go beyond lunch and I'd be fine. And, and instead of worrying all day about what I might cook for dinner and where I was going to get my next meal, 
dinner just became whatever meat and vegetable was in the fridge and it was just no big deal anymore. So I decided to go back to school and study nutrition. And so I have a practice now where I see people all around the world via Skype and I help them with, you know, not only their digestive health, but also balancing their blood sugar. And I'm also just about finished with my RD credential. So that's the registered dietitian. So that way I can work a little bit more closely with the medical community and do uh, medical nutrition therapy as well. I love that, Diana. How, how cool is that to be able to work in the, in the field of health advocacy to assist others with their health, but then step up, walk away from your computer out the back door, and there is that, you know, there is that, that walking, that talking experience where you're out there being able to um, provide fresh, um, self-grown produce for your family. I think that's just such a fantastic combination and, and as I say, a, a real sort of walking the walk. Um, one of the things that I really loved about your book was where you, you talk about your goal for the book, which is to have people, you know, grow their, a lot of their own produce, live in that, re- return back to that sort of locavore environment where they can grow their own food and, and not have to rely on mass supermarket chains and whatnot. Um, and you said for some people, your book's going to be like a gateway drug to get them into that sort of farming <laughs> environment. And I was, I was wondering if you could tell us what, what was your experience that really catapulted you to want to go down that path? Of farming, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I grew up on Long Island, which is um, outside of New York City, about an hour and a half um, way on the eastern end of Long Island, uh, New York. And for a summer job, actually, as a teenager, I worked on farms. So it was either sort of like be a lifeguard at the beach, uh, work in a restaurant, or work outside on the farm. Those were the main options for me. So I chose to work on a farm, and I just loved it. I loved being outside. I loved that feeling of exhaustion at the end of the day. And I loved working with food. And I met my husband in college, and we had a little apartment together, and we started growing our own food just in the little garden there. And he is a big environmentalist but wasn't quite sure what to do for a career. And so the two of us, we kept on with our interest in, in gardening and everything and, and our interest in food and eating because we're, we're both major foodies too – And he started learning a little bit more about these CSA subscription farms and decided it would be a perfect way to work outdoors, to uh, help the environment, and to be involved in our food system. And so after uh, a a brief stint in the corporate world and a couple very uncomfortable conversations with his parents, (laughs) um, (laughs) Uh, he he went back to school for a master's in soil science and really learned the all the the chemistry and biology behind what m- builds healthy soil and and then got a job running a farm right out of right from there so he learned you know how to drive a tractor and everything um i kept on working in the in the natural foods marketing world for a little bit and then and then joined in. So it's been really great. And I think that, you know, the paleo scene is now ready to really take it to the next step. So, you know, we're kind of, I think now a little bit beyond uh, six pack abs. And I think people are now ready to think about how their food is produced and learn about sustainable meat production, organic vegetable production, 
in even issues like, you know, is this really a paleo meal if it's a boneless, skinless, you know, CAFO chicken breast? Or do you guys have CAFOs in Australia? Or is that a U.S. term? I take it that's like a generic sort of chain of... Yeah. Of, um, yeah, yeah. Concentrated animal feeding production operation. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay uh, yeah. so these big factory farms. Um, you know, so if it's, if it's just this industrial scale, you know, soulless uh, animal product... And then maybe if it's, you know, broccoli harvested by, you know, mistreated workers, you know, is that really a paleo meal? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I would really like to encourage people to think a little bit more deeply about how their food gets to them, you know, whether they're growing it themselves or just, you know, through reading my book, just having a better understanding of some of the issues in the food system. Yeah, and Diana, I think probably many of our listeners have probably seen the movie, uh, and if they haven't, they should really check it out, Food, Inc., with Joel Salatin, where he really goes into that sort of stuff and uh, and really covers that, I think, really well about the differences there. Um, but Diana, your book is probably the most exciting book I've read in ages, actually. I, I was so excited reading through it because, you know, we speak so much about this whole pad-it-to-plate approach, um, but I've never seen it just all laid out in front of you like your book does. You know, I... I sort of got halfway through looking at your book and found myself all of a sudden on the internet searching for land to, to go and start farming because <laughs> I was like, okay, this is like my blueprint. Like this is – I can just take this and it, it literally goes through everything from how to set out your land to what you can grow to how to grow it to how to process it to how to cook it to how to eat it. Like it's just like the whole package all there in one which is so exciting. I mean was that your intention to inspire people just to, to pack up and head bush? Yeah, so, well, two things, really. I mean, my goal is to get people thinking about sustainability and and their food system. So whether that's, you know, getting someone as excited as you just sounded, which I love, (laughs) um, and wanting to start something themselves, or whether that's even just, you know, getting people to maybe consider, I don't know, one day a week, I'm going to only go to the farmer's market and eat only what I can find locally or, you know, however, however that works out for people. I think, you know, however the scale is, I realize that some people maybe live in a city, but there's, um, at least in Boston, we have these community garden plots so people can rent a little space in a park and grow a garden there. There's rooftop gardens. Um, you can easily keep bees if you live in a city, my brother lives in in a city uh, in Philadelphia and keeps bees on um, a, a farmer's land for the farmer. So there's just so many options if if someone's not quite ready yet to dive in. But I also get really excited when I hear that people want to just dive in. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's easy to see why um, I was so, um, I guess, overwhelmed in a, a good way, like flicking through the book. Um, you know, we get to see so many paleo books and you kind of associate, oh yeah, paleo cookbook, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. And like Brett said, it's so much more. You've got beautiful pictures, um, which to me represent community um, and connection with the land. And that's the, the part of paleo that we're really trying to share. People understand that it's about food, but for us, it's about so much more. And um, there's one of your pictures where there's a group of you sitting around a table enjoying a meal um, in the middle of what looks like a, a paddock. And you've got a beautiful quote, which I think is so fantastic. It's from Wendell Berry. Uh, and it's to be interested in food, but not in food production is clearly absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's so important and so relevant at the moment. Um, what do you think is uh, the, the best way for us to go about helping people to reconnect with food and, and where it comes from, Diana? 
Well, uh, I think just getting your hands dirty. I mean, gardening is infectious. So, you know, you start a little garden in your little suburban plot in your neighborhood and it might inspire your neighbors to do that too. So, I mean, we need, we need big change on a government level here. And I'm sure in Australia, every, every country needs, needs big change and shifting away from a more industrial system to a more uh, decentralized food system. But I think that that can be a little overwhelming for the average person. So my whole goal in this book was to give people tangible tools in order to really affect change on their level, because that's, that's what people can do for themselves is really these simple, small steps. Like maybe it's, you know, maybe it's as simple as going around the local market and just deciding to only buy food produced in your own country. And, you know, so that, that, that might be what you can do, or maybe it's, you know, I talk about chocolate. I, I spoke at the last ancestral health symposium about some of the issues with chocolate and bananas and coffee and, and why it's so important to buy fair trade and just some of the issues in those industries. So maybe it's just that, maybe it's just trying to be a little more conscious about, you know, not buying slave chocolate or, you know, maybe you don't need to eat bananas if they don't grow in your country, things like that. Yeah. Diana, for, for people who this is sort of starting to spike their interest with this sort of stuff and and um, perhaps have some, they, they live in a city, uh, you've mentioned a couple of things before, but when people say to you, look, uh, this, this really has captured my excitement and my imagination, but I live in a city and I feel restricted by what I can do, what are sort of your, your top you know, two, three go-tos that um, people find are an easy change to adopt? Right. So if they have a balcony, they can easily do a container garden. And those just need you need to be on top of watering them because they can dry out quickly. But growing tomatoes or little cherry tomatoes and some herbs uh, right in a container on a balcony is perfect way just to get you excited. Um, If you don't have any outdoor access, you can um, start a worm farm in your kitchen. That's actually um, we actually did that way back in college, even before we had our garden, we were, um, we had a little book on, on worm vermiculture and, uh, you can get on Amazon, these nice little trays to, um, produce your own worms. And so that you can just add to soil anywhere, even in a park. Uh, so those would be a couple things, rooftop gardens, um, and like I said, keeping bees is something to get into too. If you want to, you know, get your hands dirty. If you, if you don't, and you just want to be more conscious, you know, just learning more, watching more films. Um, Food Inc. was good. Uh, Joel Solitin wrote the preface for my book, and I know him well. Um, in fact, his daughter Sherry Solitin is just about to start a whole thirty, um, and she's gluten and dairy free now, and actually just ordered sixty copies of my book to give to some of their best customers for their polyface farm um yeah i was very honored about that uh so but but food inc doesn't really to me show the other side so it shows the tragedy of industrial agriculture but it doesn't show the possibilities of sustainable agriculture Mm. so unfortunately i end up having a lot of clients that end up becoming vegetarian or vegan after watching that movie and it's really really sad and so what i tried to do in my book is really just highlight the positives and so I don't really harp too much on, you know, the negative, uh, the negative pieces of industrial agriculture, but really highlight the positive pieces of sustainable agriculture. 
Yeah, and I think that positivity really comes through in your book, particularly I think at the end where you're talking about some of the lifestyle stuff and you're talking about you know, wh- how much you work and how much you rest and how much you play and uh, even things like, you know, building a fairy house and, you know, starting a fire, you know, just, just fun things that you're doing that are, that are just, I guess, getting back to nature, being sort of a bit more sort of one with the land and, and enjoying that real community aspect of it. You know, I think that's the, where that real positivity can come through and, and that real relaxation, I think, is probably a good word for it, can come through in that as well. It, that really comes through beautifully. I, I love that. Oh, thank you so much. We had so much fun shooting the book and and working on it together. My photographer was was um, my partner through the whole thing. She shot everything in film, so that's why the photos look the way they do. They're just a little bit richer, and I think it also added to the whole analog folk quality of the book. Yeah. Um, you know, which I was really trying to uh, portray, but to have that that deep richness of color from her photos really helps a lot too. Yeah, and, definitely. It's just beautiful. And the other thing you mentioned in there was talking about giving back and then also paying it forward. <laughs> and I thought it was fantastic to see that included in a book like this because you don't necessarily expect to see it there. You know, why was that so important for you and why did you choose to add that in? Well, there's, you know, as we're losing community, we're also losing our social nets. And, you know, I think it's important for people to have strong community ties, but also to realize that, you know, it's not necessarily only the government's problem to take care of people that are less fortunate than us. It's, it's, it's up to us. And so um, I actually teamed up with some friends of mine that own a CrossFit gym and we went and served a paleo meal at, um, at a food shelter. It made them feel great. And they've actually gone back. That gym has gone back now to do that without me. Um, just on their own, which I think is really great too. So I've kind of inspired that and and they're keeping it going. But it's just, it's an important piece of being human, right? Is to, you know, realize that, you know, we're strong and healthy, but not everybody is. And there's so many reasons why people are, end up in unfortunate situations and it's a good thing to give back. And then, you know, the paying it forward thing, you know, if we don't, if we don't educate and help, I mean, I think you know, people on the paleo diet tend to be very evangelistic, you know, and trying to convert all their friends, right, to, you know, being CrossFit or being paleo. But really to make sure that, you know, if you have children, it's it's just critical to make sure not only that they're eating well, but that they understand how food is grown and that, you know, you're setting them up for a lifetime of respecting um, the environment and, you know, making good choices, you know, with, with their nutrition, but with their life as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that leads into, I guess, the, the next question that I wanted to ask you, Diana, we've got a lot of our listeners that do have families and, and young children. And I wondered how involved your children were with the farming and the food preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what does that look like in your house? It's, it's, Fantastic. So we have an 11 year old boy. He just turned 11 and he gets paid. He works on the farm and he loves it. It's uh, a source of um, empowerment for him. He wants to be just like his dad. He's uh, super energetic and just really passionate about, you know, being strong. And um, I have a little video trailer that we did. I don't know if any of you guys saw it, but um, he's driving the little, um, we call it a gator. It's like a little. Uh, stick shift farm vehicle that we use to haul the vegetables from the farm. And, you know, he's so proud that he's 11 and he can drive this vehicle, you know. 
Um, and his buddies, you know, all the older boys in town want to work here too. So they, I think he's like the coolest kid in school. And then my daughter, uh, is a little less interested in working on the farm, but she's very interested in in caring for the animals and she's extremely interested in cooking. So that's been really fun too, to help her, you know, she plans meals and sets the table and, you know, she'll, she'll cook a whole meal for us and she's nine. So um, she's showing more of an interest in, in, you know, cooking the food and he's more outdoors wanting to, you know, just be one of the guys out there. So it's, it's, it's been really fun. Diana, you spoke about, um, you've spoken about a lot of information so far with regards to resources. And even in your book, you go into some resources where people can find out more if they want to really drill down into a particular topic. But I was just wondering for those people who like to, you know, influence themselves with good information uh, on a regular basis, what are some social media accounts like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter that you follow that pop up in your feed that just really, um, give you inspiration and keep your head in the game when it comes to this sort of stuff that other people can follow? Oh, that's a good question. I have to think about that for a minute. Um, (laughs) Honestly, on Instagram, I follow um, a lot of professional photographers, um, which I I actually don't follow a ton of cookbook bloggers because I feel sometimes a little overwhelmed by all the food in the, in the feeds. And so most of the, most of the Instagram accounts I follow are actually, um, Australia, New Zealand photographers, and then Scandinavian photographers um, who are either shooting just nature scenes or uh, farming. So maybe I maybe I could email you a couple of those, and you could put them in the show notes. Um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, there's, there's some really incredible ones. Go ahead. There's an awesome resource section at the end of your book as well. I mean, it's not necessarily social media stuff, but if we want to find out more information, there's so many links there to just. All yeah. sorts of stuff, like everything that's covered in the book. It's quite incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I actually, I mean, Instagram, I, I, I like Instagram and, um, and I, I'm on there often. I'm not on Facebook that often. I'm, I don't really get Twitter. <laughs> I, I just, I mean, I'll post an article once in a while, but I don't really, I don't really participate there. Um, I'm so busy, honestly, with, with um, my nutrition clients that I'm helping, with my graduate program and with the farm that, um, I try to keep uh, social media to a little bit of a minimum, embarrassingly enough, I guess, or good enough, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, not embarrassing <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, sometimes um, Steve and I like to practice a bit of a break from our social media as well. Yeah. It um, you know, helps to clear the mind so we can relate to that. Yeah. Um, Diana, there is a particular page in your book that if I walked into a shop and I picked up your book and I happened to turn to that one and it was the very first one, I would swear that you're Australian. And um, I know that this is something that's going to appeal to people, but I would love you to explain it. And it's page 385, and it's called Playing Chicken Shit Bingo. Oh, is that an Australian thing? Oh, it just sounds like something we love. I don't think it's Australian, but I was just like, that's something we love. That's so funny. So I was just talking with Rob Wolf on his podcast, and he brought that one up as well. So I have a feeling I'm going to be questioned about that often. So. Um, that's just a fun game. So, uh, we have a lot of barbecues and a lot of parties at our farm. We have a really tight group of, um, interns and apprentices that work here, a lot of young people. And it's really fun for me to be around all these people in their twenties who are so, um, you know, young and, and the world's in front of them and they're just learning everything now. And, 
and they're also nice. And so we all eat lunch together as a, as a group. And then, you know, often we end up having barbecues after work. And so we'll play games like capture the flag, which I have instructions in the book on how to do that. Cause it's so much fun, but yeah, chicken shit bingo is a game where you, take a, a board and it can be pretty much any size. We use one about the size of a ping pong table. So just a large, just like a large table and you grid out squares and you add the chicken, make sure you've got it kind of fenced off around so that the chicken can't get out. Um, this isn't cruel to the chicken at all. <laughs> um, and then you all can just bet on which square the chicken is going to shit in. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, excellent. Um, I, don't, I can't segue from that. I'm sorry. I'm no segue <laughs> I'm to, like, to move into my next question. I'm waiting for the Australian version, like where people are putting their dogs in parks and squaring it off and seeing where they go. Yeah. <laughs> this wow. is going to go large. I, I like I've that. heard that people play it with cows too, and you can like section <laughs> yeah. off a whole field and just wonder where the cow is going to go next. I don't know how often cows go. Chickens go all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> they just make a mess everywhere. So, uh, so you can bet, you know, that the chicken's going to go within the first five minutes. Um, Diana, you mentioned before we started with the podcast that you have a bit of travel uh, down under uh, happening shortly, not to Australia, unfortunately, but can you tell us a little bit more about what's happening? Sure. Yeah. I'll be at the Ancestral Health Symposium New Zealand, which uh, is going to be in Queenstown in October. And I'm actually... Um, I'm so excited. I've never been there. I've never been to that, that whole portion of the world. So I'm, I've been hearing all things, uh, these, these magical miniature dolphins that you click underwater and they appear. I don't know <laughs> if that's wow. something you've ever heard of before, but I, apparently they're in New Zealand. <laughs> um, and I'll be traveling with Emily Deans, who runs the blog uh, Evolutionary Psychiatry. And she is a psychiatrist and a good friend of mine who um, is also a mom and lives in my neighborhood, in my area here. And the two of us are actually going to be renting a camper and, um, and touring New Zealand a little bit before the conference. So I'm super excited about that as well. Well, um, it sounds like you've got heaps on the go, Diana, and we're so appreciative for you to, um, you know, share some of your knowledge with us. And I really want to encourage our listeners to, to take a look at your book when it when it finally comes out. Um, but we certainly would love to stay in touch and uh, hear what else you've got going on as well. So um, Diana's latest book, The Homegrown Paleo Cookbook, is set to be released on Amazon, and that's happening on the 10th of March. And uh, apart from uh, what we've talking about, um, talking about, that's terrible, <laughs> apart from what we've spoken about today, um, it also has over 100 absolutely delicious gluten-free farm-to-table recipes. Um, and we're not joking when we say it's a complete guide to growing your own healthy food. It's got instructions on everything. You'll find out how to make soap, beeswax, candles, just anything you can think of. It's just wonderful. Um, and we can also highly recommend Diana's blog, Sustainable Dish, as another fantastic resource to help you learn more about her thoughts on sustainability and nutrition. And also check out her book, Paleo Lunches and Breakfasts on the Go, which is something I know we always get asked about. And stay in touch via Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. As always, we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we did. Remember, you can join the conversation by liking that paleo show on Facebook and following us on Instagram. Until next week, continue to share your story and help to grow the paleo tribe worldwide. 
This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.